0: And now, this week in sport history. April 4th, 1930, English batter Andy Sandham ends the second day of the fourth test against the West Indies in Kingston, Jamaica, unbeaten on 309. This was the first triple century in test history, with Sandham eventually out for 325. Along with Sandham's score, Les Ames made 149 and George Gunn, Bob Wyatt, Patsy Hendren and Jack O'Connor all made half centuries as England made a then record 849. <laughs> that 849 now sits third all time behind the seven declared for 903 England made in the fifth Ashes test in 1938 and the sixth declared for 952 Sri Lanka made in the first test against India in 1997 match that didn't see either side bat twice and india conceded a half century to extras who finished on 58 wow. if you're wondering the most extras in an innings is the 76 that india gave up to pakistan in 2007 anyway back to sandham in that series he actually averaged over 144 in the two drawn tests and just 3.5 in the two tests that yielded a result and he did this as a 40 year old Wow, mind you hendron was 41 Bowlers William Astle and Nigel Haig were 42, Gunn was 50, and Wilfred Rhodes was 52. We always talk about these old blokes playing cricket right up into their 50s. Rhodes
1: batting on Rhodes too, hey?
0: Well, as it turns out, it was a bloody road. All of that though, and this actually ended up being his last ever test match. Sandon was a phenomenal batter. Along with the 325, he had a 282 not out at Old Trafford. Suffering something close to pleurisy, Yikes. when the tissue separating your lungs from your chest wall becomes inflamed, it causes sharp chest pain. So oh, that's terrible stuff. And he was also part of a 173-run 10th wicket partnership for Surrey after suffering a bout of food poisoning. Yep. So he can really put the runs on, even if he has has the <laughs> oh, runs. <geez.
1: laughs> Uh, uh, Completely
0: unscripted pun there.
1: Puns about runs. (laughs) 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 Puns about runs.
0: Yet he only managed 14 tests because of Herbert Sutcliffe keeping him out of the side, a man who averaged over 60 in tests, and has a Wikipedia picture of himself with what I believe is a possum on his shoulder. Why not? Why not? Quick random stat about triple centuries as well. Amazingly, 10 of the 31 ever recorded have been not outs.
1: Wow, hmm. yeah, it's a fairly
0: high percentage.
1: Well, I know two Aussies that declared on triple centuries, for example, but there you uh, go, yeah. yeah, so that's two of the Dilled, 10. right? Uh,
0: Michael Clark and David Warner.
1: No, I was thinking Tubby Taylor the last time we were in Pakistan, he didn't want to pass Bradman, so he declared. Oh, on yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking
0: of Warner after he passed that, yeah, yeah, Warner was similar uh, kind of thing, yeah, yeah Michael yeah. Clark just before he got to 329. There you go. April 4th,
1: 1983, in the 45th NCAA Men's Basketball Championship game, North Carolina State defeats the heavily favoured Houston, 54-52, with the Wolfpack winning on a buzzer-beating tip dunk by Lorenzo Charles after a desperation 30-foot shot from Derek Wittenberg came up short. This was a bit of a Cinderella story, really. NC State had a good side, including future NBA players Thurl Bailey and Sidney Lowe. They were also coached by the great Jimmy Valvano, too, may he rest in peace but the Wolfpack barely made the tournament. They started the year nine and seven and relied on three close wins in the ACC tournament to even make it. Then along the way to the championship game, they had a two point win over Pepperdine where they trailed by five with 20 seconds left, keeping in mind there were no threes at that stage in the college game. A one point win over UNLV after trailing by 12 and another one pointer against Ralph Sampson's Virginia after Lorenzo Charles, that name again, hit two late free throws. This earned the team the nickname, the Cardiac Pack. Number one seed Houston had future Hall of Famers Hakeem, or then Hakeem Olajuwon, and Clyde Drexler. Olajuwon averaged 14 points, 11 boards, and more than five blocks a game, while Drexler averaged 16 points, nine boards, and more than three steals a game. Defensively, they were everywhere. But in this one, Drexler picked up four fouls in the first half, limiting his ability to be aggressive and keeping him to just 25 minutes.
0: The fourth one was a very contentious one, though. Apparently, one of the uh, one of the players actually grabbed him. They were taking a charge and grabbed his leg and pulled him down onto him, which could oh, have been a defensive okay. foul. Okay,
1: and this is interesting. After I talked about that Duke Final Four loss this week as well with there the fouls on Williams by Drexler only playing those twenty five minutes, Chewy, this allowed NC State to open up a thirty three to twenty five lead. Houston did open the second half on a seventeen to two run. But Olajuwon, who was magnificent with 20 points, 18 rebounds and seven blocks, had to come out of the game a couple of times to receive oxygen.
0: That was because of the altitude at the stadium that they were at.
1: The game, of course, was played in Albuquerque, nearly 1,700 metres above sea level. Houston slowed the pace down, playing into NC State's hands, and eventually NC State had a shot to win it, and Olajuwon forgot to block out, leaving Charles to win the game and the championship. He can be forgiven given his stats, but... Drexler himself only had four points.
0: Mm, One of five from the field, if I remember correctly. So Mm. not a good game with all those fouls.
1: There aren't many buzzer beaters to win national championships. Chris Jenkins hit a three in 2016 to lift Villanova over North Carolina. Arnie Ferrin hit a foul line jumper in 1944 to propel Utah over Dartmouth. And that's about it. Now, there have been a lot of close games, but they don't always end on a Hmm. buzzer-beater. Jordan, for example, had that big one, but that wasn't the end of the game. It required a James Worthy steal that we talked about recently.
0: Well, you could argue a turnover
1: from (laughs) the Georgetown player. it. Yeah, it was a pretty poor pass. it was. And April 7th,
0: 1928, 44-year-old New York Rangers general manager Lester Patrick replaces his injured goaltender in Game 2 of the Stanley Cup. Already trailing the best-of-five series 1-0 to the Montreal Maroons, this was almost do or die. But Lauren Chabot went down with an eye injury in the second period leading to one of the most famous incidents in hockey history. Patrick would inspire the Rangers to a 2-1 overtime win and the Rangers would go on to win the series 3-2. After this match, though, the interesting thing is that the Rangers actually hired New York Americans goalie Joe Miller who had been made available. If only a rule like this had existed for John Brown.
1: (laughs) Uh, New York Americans. That's a new one. Mm. There you go.
0: So the win would actually give the city of New York the trifecta as the Yankees won the World Series and the Giants won the NFL Championship that season. And I believe the Yankees also won it in 1928. So New York had kind of a monopoly over major sporting championships for a good 14 months. Mm. The only other city to manage that, Detroit in 1935. This week in sport history. Thanks for listening to this Sport Bloke segment. Why not listen to the full episode and check out their Twitter at Sport